Thank you for listening to The Real Deal with Damian Adams. This is Real Sports Talk for the Real Sports Fan. And I definitely appreciate you, Real Sports Fans, who are listening right now. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do me a huge favor and leave this podcast a five-star rating. That one, two, three, four, fifth, that five-star rating review will definitely be appreciated. If you're listening on any other platform, that could be iHeartRadio, Podomatic, Google Podcasts, wherever. Please share from that platform so that your friends and family can see the podcast, listen to the podcast, love the podcast, subscribe, and then send it to their friends and family. I'm trying to get this podcast to the highest levels of podcastivity, and I need your help to get there. I would truly, truly appreciate it. Today's episode is just me and you, laid back talking a little boxing, talking some basketball. And I want to start off with boxing because I feel like it's in a great state right now. And I've done like state of boxing type of shows before where it's been me complaining about how we're not getting the top fights, how there's too many politics, how one person is on one side of the street, quote unquote, and we can't get a fight made with the other side of the street. And the weekend before last, we got Ryan Garcia versus Javante Davis. Good fight. Great performance by Javante Davis. And it turns out that they had 1.2 million pay-per-view buys, which is massive, especially for today's market with the illegal streaming that's available. For them to be able to get 1.2 million means that people were invested truly invested. They didn't want to take the chance of streaming it illegally and the stream, you know, stopping and having to buffer, you know, not like I did or I do it. So I don't know about that, but you know, that can happen. But in serious note, I did buy the fight as well on the zone and it was $25 cheaper because I'm already subscribed to the zone. So I got through there and it was worth every penny, worth every penny, good undercard, good fight. And the result of being able to make that much money at the gate, I believe it was reported over $22 million in the arena alone, and have all the pay-per-view buys at basically $85 a pop, shows you that the big fights are worth making. There have been reports about Errol Spence Jr. and Terrence Crawford, and initially when they were trying to make the fight happen, there was a big part of it that the finances didn't add up. Al Heyman, who is over Premier Boxing Champions, which is the company that manages Errol Spence Jr., didn't want to be transparent about the financials. And I believe a part of that was that they didn't believe they would make the money that maybe is projected for that type of fight. But now with the results of Ryan Garcia and Javante Davis doing what they did, it just shows how possible it is. Now, I don't expect Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford to do 1.2 million pay-per-view buys. Tank is a big star. Ryan Garcia is a superstar on social media. That has a part to do with it as well. And I really do wonder how many of those people who follow Ryan bought the fight. Because Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy would like you to believe that it was Ryan Garcia who brought in those numbers, right? Now, he definitely had a part to do with it, 
but it's the fact that we had two stars fighting each other. Chris Rock has this great joke about how with a marriage, a lot of people will say it's 50-50. When in fact, it's 100-100. Right? When you put 100 in and your partner puts 100 in, that's when it works. Because you're doing 50-50 and someone's not really putting in as much as they can. Now you can't do the basics. You can't move a couch. In part of that joke, he talks about how it's real easy to move a couch with two people. But with one person, you can't move it at all. Well, most people. I know we've seen the videos of the crazy strong dudes on the internet moving couches by themselves. Most normal people can't move a couch by themselves. They need that help. And Ryan Garcia and Javante Davis got together and moved several couches with what they were able to do. Now, I think that moving forward, we're going to have that same type of impact, that same type of level when it comes to other big fights. Because now they know what can happen. And the thing is, this shouldn't have been new. I don't understand where we went wrong, but I'm glad we're getting back to having the days of the best fight the best. Now, this weekend, we have Canelo Alvarez versus John Ryder. This is not the best versus the best, and I don't mean any disrespect to John Ryder. Very solid fighter, right? Uh, someone who is a southpaw, likes to bring pressure, definitely can box. His best punch is his right hook. So even though he's a southpaw, his right hook is his best punch. Kind of similar to Ryan Garcia being orthodox with his left hook being his best punch. But going against Canelo, I don't really see a path to victory for John Ryder. Because the way he likes to fight is just perfect for what Canelo is best at. So Canelo Alvarez, at his best, is a counterpuncher. Now, we think of him as this killer, as this person who can mow you down. But when he's truly at his best... He's able to dodge punches, get on the inside, hit you to the body, maybe catch you with a clean counter up top. You think about the fights where he's had to be the aggressor. It's where he's not looked the best. Floyd Mayweather, he had to be the aggressor. And obviously lost that fight and it was clear, even though it was a majority decision. One judge was blind or something. It was clear that Floyd Mayweather won that fight going away. Against Demetri Baval. He had to be the aggressor and was countered by Boval. Another fight that people believe, a lot of people believe he lost, was against Eris Landalara. Eris Landalara made him be the aggressor. And he was caught by some counter shots from Eris Landalara. Now, for you youngest out there, if you watch Eris Landalara today, you'd be like, really? He made Canelo come to him? But yeah, Eris Landalara in his younger days was a much faster fleet of foot type of boxer and when he fought Canelo had Canelo chase him around the ring now I believe Canelo won that fight because I thought Lara did a little too much running a little too much moving and he didn't sit down on his punches enough but Canelo didn't look the best in that fight because he had to be the aggressor and he had to try to chase this person down now he's gotten better of course over the years when it comes to cutting off the ring and knowing when to throw punches not throwing out of range not throwing where the person can evade the punch and make him look silly. But against John Ryder, he doesn't even have to employ 
those new skills he's learned over the years. He's going to be able to depend on being right there in the pocket, being able to counter with his block, head movement, and counter John Ryder pretty good. So I think that Canelo will win this fight, I'm going to say, six-round KO for Canelo in this one. It'll be exciting while it lasts. John Ryder will come to fight. He's not scared. So he'll definitely make it a fight. Hopefully he does. I've said it before about other fighters. I'm still disappointed by Caelan Smith and how he fought Canelo, even though Caelan Smith since then has been an absolute killer. But I believe John Ryder will bring it. But unfortunately for him, he'll be knocked out because of the way he fights by the sixth round. Uh, the undercard is pretty good in this one as well. We got Julio Cesar Martinez against Ronald Batista, which is for the WBC World Flightweight Championship. Flyweight Championship, excuse me. That's going to be a banger. Like punches just being thrown all over the place. A lot of technique. I love that one. So a pretty decent undercard. But this is one of the fights on pay-per-view that if I'm a serious boxing fan and a casual fan comes up to me and says, should I buy it? It's hard for me to say you should buy this one. Now, I know this one won't be as expensive as Ryan Garcia, Javante Davis, but most likely I'm going to watch this fight at a sports bar or something like that. I'm definitely not going to get it illegally. The reason that I've really come around on not doing it that way is that that's part of the reason we haven't gotten the fights we want. It is the illegal streaming and fighters being scared to risk losing to a fighter of the same caliber that they're at without the payday that should come along with it. Now with Canelo, he's established where he can sell pay-per-view by himself, right? Just because it's him that's probably going to still do 400,000, 500,000 pay-per-view buys. And it's one is in Mexico. It's a come-home fight for him. It's going to do well there as well. So they're going to make money from it because it's Canelo. And Canelo, even though Tank and Garcia, quote-unquote, were fighting to be the face of boxing, Canelo's the face of boxing, right? Or you can even argue someone like a Tyson Fury because of the fandom that they have in their home countries. Javante probably is the face of American boxing now, uh, which may not last long because there's this young man named Shakur Stevenson who I believe is the best of everybody at 135. Even Devin Haney, who has a very exciting fight. I will detail that one. Not next week, but I believe the week after, because they're fighting on May 20th. Uh, so I'm really excited about the state of boxing right now. And I just can't wait for these big fights to happen. Hopefully we get Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford. Hopefully we get Bavall, better BF, or Bavall against somebody soon. You know, just so many fights that can happen in boxing that need to be made. And I think that the trend will start because of the success of Ryan Garcia versus Javante Tank Davis. I love it. I love it. And hopefully Canelo lives up to my prediction of a six-round knockout. I'm going to put a little money on Canelo by knockout. You should do the same. So we're going to take a quick music break. When we come back, talk NBA playoffs. We'll be right back. Butterflies Inside Love it 
Welcome back to The Real Deal with Damian Adams. Hopefully you enjoyed that music break. So now let's get into a little NBA playoffs. We are officially in the second round. Every first round series has ended. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the teams that got eliminated in the first round. And I got to start with the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm still shook. I'm still shook by the fact that the Miami Heat beat the Milwaukee Bucks in five games. Now, the five games, for the most part, were close. So it wasn't like it was just a spanking. But Milwaukee's the one seed. Now, I get that Miami isn't your normal eight seed. They were the seven seed pre-play-in. But Milwaukee has who we think of as the best player in the league in Giannis and a very good supporting cast, including Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, who hasn't looked like you know, his self from two years ago, but was getting close to that, can still drop buckets for you. You know, they have Brooke Lopez playing at a DPOY level. Bobby Portis playing at a six-man-of-the-year level. Like, they have a very good supporting cast surrounding Giannis and still fell short in five games to the eighth seed, who struggled all year to be consistent. Miami, all regular season, couldn't hit threes, Struggled to find consistent offense. Brought in Kevin Love just because they needed some type of stretching the floor out type of person. They've been struggling. And now, come playoff time, seems like they found it. But with the Bucks, honestly, it's hard to even process it because we were so set on them. They were the title favorites. It wasn't like they were just this one seed that came up and had a great regular season. We were like, okay, they're cute. No, they were the title favorites. They've been here before. They've done it before. They were expected to make a title run. So, of course, the question comes up, is this considered a failure? So, I want to play a little audio for you from Giannis answering a question from a reporter about if this year is a failure or not. Do you view this season as a failure? Oh my god. Uh, you asked me the same question last year, Eric. Okay. Uh, do you get do you get a promotion every year? On your job? No, right? So every year you work is a failure. Yes or no? No. Every every year you work, you work towards something, towards a goal. Right? Which is to get a promotion, to be able to uh, take care of your family, to be able I don't know. Um, provide the house for them or take care of your parents. You work towards a goal. It's not a failure. It's steps to success. Michael Jordan played 15 years, won six championships. The other nine years was a failure. That's what you're telling me. No, I'm asking you a question. Yes or no? Okay, exactly. So why are you asking another question? It's a wrong question. There's no failure in sports. Do you? you So you, there you hear Giannis answering the question if this year was considered a failure. And you could tell that he was already annoyed, right? Now, the person who asked that question, who has been covering the NBA for a very long time, works for The Athletic, and does a good job. So I'm not saying this to criticize him. It's just a difference in style. I would have asked that same question in maybe a different way right uh 
do you think that this year taught you guys anything? Or what can you learn from this series that you can take into next year? Right, because you already know that they're going to be in a bad mood, right? So honestly, it's going to be tough no matter what you ask. I've been in that situation. I haven't covered the NBA playoffs, but I've covered the WNBA playoffs. And I remember when Skylar Diggins was still playing for the Dallas team. I don't know, Dallas Wings, excuse me. They lost to Phoenix in the playoffs. And that year, their coach had got fired. And I remember asking if the change with coaching midway through the season had an effect on them throughout the year. And she did not take kindly to that question. So maybe it doesn't matter what question you ask or how you ask it at that point because you're dealing with someone who's dealing with disappointment, right? And Giannis gave a great overall look at failure, right? When you say, oh, there's no failure in sports, right? And he's coming from a background where he's dealt with like real stuff growing up, right? So I get it from that standpoint, right? Someone like him or someone like a Jimmy Butler who had this just very challenging upbringing. When they look at sports, it's like, this is nothing, right? So I get it from that standpoint, right? But I also don't like it when athletes try to downplay their shortcomings in the sport by bringing in stuff from outside the sport, right? So like, for example, Russell Westbrook, I remember them asking him about, you know, if the year was considered a failure. I think it was last season with the Lakers. And he was like, well, no, because I've already, already won in life. That's not the question. That's not what we're talking about here. Yes, you've won in life. You're making all this money to play basketball. You've won in life. You're doing what you love to do and getting paid well to do it. Amazing. That's for anybody, right? Not just athletes, but anybody who's living their dream or anybody who is content in life. You're winning. You're winning. I'm winning right now doing this podcast because I'm doing what I love to do and I have time to do it, right? But if I set a goal for myself and I don't reach it, it can be considered a failure. The word failure shouldn't be looked at as such a negative thing. Yes, sometimes you're going to fail. It is a negative thing if you take a test and you fail it, yes. But now you know, once you get the results back, why you didn't pass this test. So for me, once you do fail at something, you know, okay, this is what I have to improve on. For Giannis, he was horrible from the free throw line in this series. That was a failure on his part to help his team. If he's, instead of missing 13 free throws in game five, he misses five, maybe they win that game. They had big leads in both games four and five, and they squandered those leads away. Now, part of that's on the coaching, part of that's on him as a superstar of the team. Now, sometimes you deal with a loss like this, and it makes you better. And from there, you take off. We saw it with Dirk Nowitzki, right? 07, he's the MVP. And he's a superstar. And they lose to the Gold State Warriors in the first round. They're the one seed, one of the title favorites. And they lose in the first round. He got better from that. 
And because of that experience, he was ready for that 2011 playoff run that he made. Now, Giannis already has a championship. So he knows what it takes to get there. He knows he has to get better at his free throws. And at that point, he was frustrated and mad at the reporter for asking that question. But it's a fair question. Again, I would have asked it in a different way, right, to get more of what do they think they have to do to get better? Because you already know they're going to be defensive at that point. But again, I'm not criticizing the reporter because he's done more in the game than I have. I hope to get to his level one day. But I can see why you would ask that question for sure. And in short terms, it's a failure. Being a one seed, being the title favorite. Again, this is not a new one seed. This is not a team that came out of nowhere to be the one seed. This is a team that is ready. They should be ready to be a title contender year in and year out. And losing in round one to not your normal eight seed, but still an eight seed, is a failure. It is. And it's okay. It's okay to fail sometimes. When you fail, it builds towards success. So there's parts of what he said was true, right? But it was framed in a way as if failure is impossible in sports, which is possible in everything. If you set a goal, you don't achieve it. You failed at that goal. I've done that before plenty of times. You got to come back from it. You got to succeed from it. And I think Giannis will definitely do that because he's still in his prime. He's still going to be amazing at what he does. And the Bucks will be back next year as a title contender. Uh, another team that went down in the first round. Let's stay on the Eastern Conference side as things became very interesting <laughs> over there after the Bucks lost. The Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, Cleveland was one of those teams that was new to this this year. Right now, we expected them to be better once they added Donovan Mitchell. Like, okay, they're gonna be good, but I didn't expect them to be the number one defense in the NBA. Donovan Mitchell has been known to flow in and out of his defensive efforts at times. And Garland, he tries hard, but just because of his size and sometimes lack of athletic ability, he's not gonna be a Drew Holiday like defender, but he's still a decent defender. But the reason they're number one in defense is their effort of Mitchell, Garland, but of course having Evan Mobley and Jared Allen behind them. But then when it came to the Knicks series, Julius Randle is hurt, not playing well. Quickly, another one of their big time scorers, didn't really play that well. So you got Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, Mitchell Robinson, R.J. Barrett at times coming through for you. And if you go into that series and you tell any basketball fan, Julius Randle is not going to play well at all. He's going to give you maybe 15, 16 points at times. Quickly, he's not going to play well at all. But the Knicks are still going to win this series. And pretty easily. You would have been like, what? Nah, you lying. Ain't no way. But that's what happened. Cleveland has to look at themselves and be like, what do we have to do to get better? Donovan Mitchell, he failed in that series. He failed to come through like a superstar. He might be All-NBA first team. He was not All-NBA first team. He might be All-NBA first team this year. 
and he didn't perform up to that standard. He also was my fifth guy on my MVP ballot. If you're top five on an MVP ballot, like Giannis is, like Donovan Mitchell may be, you're expected to come through, especially in the first round, and be able to beat the other team, especially if the other team has players, their second best player is struggling, their best guy off the bench is struggling. Understand, Josh Hart did an amazing job. I'm a big Josh Hart fan. Josh Hart used to be on the Pelicans. Me being a Pelicans fan, I love Josh Hart. I hate that we had to give him up to get CJ McCollum, but I understood it. Josh Hart's amazing at defense, amazing at rebounding, amazing effort guy. Always seems to make the big play. Cool. But that still shouldn't be enough for Cleveland to struggle the way they did. Garland had moments where he looked amazing. I love Garland's game, but he wasn't consistent enough throughout the series. You got to look at Bickerstaff and see that he got outcoached by Thibodeau in that series. So what steps can they make to get better for next year? They may have to see if Allen and Mobley are your match that you want there at the 4-5 and five position. Evan Mobley wasn't aggressive enough offensively. So for me, if I'm the coaching staff offseason, I'm like, yo, I need you to be a 20-point-a-game guy. A guy we can depend on, A, Mitchell, they're guarding Mitchell a certain way. You have the matchup, Mobley. We can go to you, and you can lead the offense. Mobley has to turn to that type of guy. He's already a great defensive player. Offensively, we need you to be that guy. Allen, he very good defender, good shot blocker, decent offensive player, but he definitely got outplayed by Mitchell Robinson in a major way, especially when it comes to the rebounds. So do you continue with the pairing that you have, or do you go with maybe trading Allen and going with somebody else? Like, what do you do, right? So I think that with them, you have to really look at that, that pairing at the four and the five. Also, they need, you know, that small forward. I would have to look at the free agency list and see if they can go forward with that, but they definitely need a big-time small forward, 3 and D guy they can depend on because Coro had his moments, but he can be self-checked at times. Karis LeVert, moments, but can be inconsistent. Uh, Osman, moments, but can be barbecue chicken when he's on defense. So you definitely need to find that consistent guy there. And maybe you trade Allen. And you get that guy and you go with a different type of five or maybe you go with a small lineup with Mobley at the five. I think there's some options for them to improve this team and be better next year. Uh, for the other Eastern Conference teams that have been eliminated, the Atlanta Hawks, uh, it's weird to kind of try to get a full picture on their season because they were going through so much throughout the year with Trey Young and Nate McMillan and Nick McMillan gets fired. You bring in Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder, we know, is a good coach. He has a proven track record with Utah. But this is a totally different team with Trey Young and the offense being centered around him. They did do a good job of fighting. I didn't expect that in the Boston series. I thought Boston was going to sweep them. But they made it a real series. So you have to give them a shout out for that. And you wonder what moves they're going to make. They got to resign Dante Murray. They gave up too much for him. They have to keep him in in-house. So what moves can they make to become better? 
John Collins, he's been on the trade block for years, but now his value's down because he had a down season shooting-wise. So I don't know where he can go. But maybe with a full training camp with Quinn Snyder's system, they'll be better just off that alone. But I don't see how with this roster, they can really move forward and not just be a 6-7-8 seed. I don't really see how they go forward there. Uh, with the... Was that the last one there with them? And you also had the 3-6 matchup in the East. Oh, yeah. Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Brooklyn, they, they know they're not that good. You know after you trade away KD, you trade away Kyrie, you know that you're not going to be that good. And against Philly, you showed. Uh, so for them, they're in the rebuilding process pretty much. But you can build around Mikael Bridges. I think Mikael Bridges has shown that he can be that guy for you. But you can't expect him to be that defensive guy if he's carrying load offensively. Uh, so I think they have a decent little unit there with Mikael and Cam Johnson. They got to build around that. So we're going to take a music break. When I come back, we'll talk about the Western Conference and the second round series. We'll be right back. Strumming my pain with his fingers Singing my life with his words Killing me softly with his song
Welcome back to The Real Deal with Damien Adams. Hopefully you enjoyed that music break and you're enjoying this episode so far. I truly, truly appreciate everyone who takes the time to listen to me. Thank you so much. So now let's get into the Western Conference and the teams that got eliminated in the first round. Uh, let's start with AC. Minnesota Timberwolves got eliminated in five by the Denver Nuggets. No surprise there. No one expected them to win that series. And people honestly were surprised they won a the game. But... This team can't move forward as is. They made a colossal, gigantic, enormous mistake. The worst trade in NBA history when they traded for Rudy Gobert. Right? You got to remember, at the beginning of this year, Rudy Gobert had four years left on his deal, including the player option, which, of course, he's going to take. But basically, you're paying him $45 million a year. And it goes up as the years go along to be this defensive stopper, right? And he's not that guy that he was earlier in his career. And even at his best, when he was getting you three blocks a game and altering all these shots at the rim, there still was that weakness of, okay, if we go five wide, we play small, we spread them out, we can play him off the floor. So you get that guy who at times, even at his best defensively, when he's winning Defensive Player of the Year awards, can be play off the floor come playoff time when teams go small. You pair him next to Carl Anthony Towns. Now, we didn't see much of it during the regular season. Carl Anthony Towns was dealing with an injury. He missed, I want to say, like 56 games. So he missed most of the year. But in the small sample size that we did see, we saw that Courtney Towns has no business trying to guard other power forwards. Now, if this was 2003, this lineup would make a lot of sense because the power forwards played more inside, right? Their spacing was to the mid-range, right? If you go back to the 90s, you had your Horace Grant types who can shoot the mid-range jumper. Those were as much as power forwards were spread it out. And then it evolved into KG and Dirk Nowinski and all Rasheed Wallace and all these guys who could really spread the floor as power forwards, along with having all-around games, not just being you know, floor spacers. Carney Towns, you would think, would be in that mode of Dirk, Rasheed Wallace, those type of guys because he's so skilled offensively. He's very skilled offensively. Statistically speaking, he is the best shooting big man of all time. That's great. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty, do you trust him? When it comes down to, I need a bucket right here, or I need a stop right here, or I don't need any dumb fouls, I don't need any dumb mistakes, do you trust Carl Anthony Towns in that moment? And you know the answer is no. Whenever you watch him in an important play-in game, playoff games, there's usually a series of dumb mistakes. I'll never forget last year in the playoffs against Memphis. In that series, Minnesota blew like 
three separate 25-point leads, which is crazy. Two in the same game. And with catch your best player, that can happen. Now, this year with Cat being out, Anthony Edwards stepped up and has become that guy for them, right? So because Anthony Edwards has stepped up and it looks like he's on his way to becoming a superstar, not yet a superstar, but becoming a superstar, you can really say, okay, how can we try to mend the situation? Because you're stuck with Rudy Gobert. No one's going to take that contract. If you trade him, you're not going to get nowhere near what you gave up for him. Nowhere near that. So now you're stuck with him. Carlton Towns, because he is the best shooting big man of all time, quote-unquote, a team may be enamored with his talent enough to give you a big package for him. Right? They may be enamored enough to say, yo, we can fix him. We can get rid of all those dumb mistakes that he makes. We can be the ones to point him in the right direction. They may say that. And if they're willing to go that extra mile to say that, then you can build around Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert and maybe have a better team. But this team as constructed right now is a 7-8 seed out in the first round. Just what it's going to be. Now, with the Western Conference, <laughs> it's wild. We have a 6 and a 7 seed playing against each other in the second round with the Warriors and the Lakers. So that means that the second and third seeds got eliminated. Memphis, okay. This year for Memphis has been all the drama. All the drama, right? It's the Real Housewives of Bill Street is what I would call it. Like, they had all of the drama between John Morant, Dylan Brooks, like, just everything going on. The way that, you know, Shannon Sharp and them getting into it, like, all the drama. And because of that, their play on the court got overshadowed. Now, they were good for most of the year. And I do have to acknowledge that the injuries to Steven Adams and Brandon Clark were major. Major. But I think that the outside the court stuff got to them. Because even without Steven Adams and Brandon Clark, going against the Lakers, I picked the Lakers in six. You know, to my own horn, got that one exactly correct. But there's no way... They should have had two separate games where they were blown out of the gym. They had two separate games where they basically didn't show up. Now, Steven Adams is important. I get that he gets a lot of rebounds, sets great screens. That's very important. But he's not making up 40 points. He's not going to make it to where you don't score nine points in the first quarter in one of those games. They just were off as a unit. And it's already came out today that they will not resign Dylan Brooks. So I wonder what team will pick him up. He is an NBA player. Now his antics and everything else make it to where you want to point out how bad he is. But I do believe he's an NBA player. And if he has better shot selection, can be a good selection to your team. Could be a good addition. But the shot selection at times 
Like, yo, why are you pulling up like you Donovan Mitchell when you Dylan Brooks? Like, stop it. But for them, they can look. They can try to blame the injuries, but they have to look at themselves because they had their big three. You got Ja, you had Bane, you had Triple J. When you have those three on the court, you should be able to play with pretty much anybody in this league. And for the fact that the Lakers pretty much dominated them in this series. I understand the Lakers are good, but damn, it shouldn't be that. So I need the Real Housewives of Bill Street to get it together. For real. Sacramento Kings. Now, Sacramento Kings played a great series. They played their hearts out against the Warriors. My original pick was Warriors in seven and Steph going off in game seven. I can't brag about that one too much because I went back and forth on that one. And I thought the Kings at one point looked like the better team. But my original pick was correct, the Warriors in seven. And Steph going off. Like, that's a crazy good prediction for myself right there. So, you know, when people, when I get it wrong, people get on me. So when I get it right, I'm going to give myself a pound the back, all right? So, but with the Kings, I don't think roster-wise they need to make any changes unless you want to get, you know, a big man to go alongside the minus of bonus because they're really small. They're really small, and that came into play in Game 7 in a major way. Kevon Looney was out there getting all the boards, looking like prime Dennis Rodman, prime Charles Barkley, like getting all the boards. And Demonis Bonus is a very good rebounder, but when you have someone who's just as athletic as he is, he can be managed, right? And that's one of the points I made going into this series is he was going to struggle because they have someone in Draymond Green and someone in Kevon Looney who can guard him. And he just, for most of the series, wasn't that good. He had, you know, some moments here and there, but he didn't play well enough. Uh, De'Aaron Fox played very well in this series. He was playing through a fracture in his finger the last few games. So I'm not going to go on him too hard. I imagine playing with a, a fractured finger on your shooting hand, trying to make that work is pretty tough. For the rest of that, you know, team, they just got to continue to build, continue to get better, take this experience and take it personally. But I think that maybe they should go after, you know, a center. Because I, I don't know if you can play Alex Lynn and start him at center, but his size does matter as far as getting rebounds and stuff like that. But Sabonis honestly should be a power forward. I understand that he didn't mesh well with Miles Turner at times because of that with the Pacers. But he should be a four. He could be an excellent four for you. And if he's not hesitating, he can't hit shots. You could tell that he got in his head in this series. The fact that the Warriors are like, you can shoot. We're going to leave you open. And in those mid-range jumpers, he had games where he just wasn't one. He didn't want to take it. And he can't be that. He's not good enough in other areas where he can just be a zero scoring-wise. He can't do that. He needs to be better than that. So... For me, I think that he needs to go ahead and be aggressive offensively as a four, not a five. But I don't know who they can really go after at the five position. For our other teams here in the Western Conference, our four-five matchup, we had the Clippers lose to the Phoenix Suns. Uh, the Clippers, man, is tough, right? Because the Clippers just... Can't get healthy. Can't get right. Right? That's them. They can't get right. And you wonder now, 
how can you move forward? Because Kawhi Leonard is amazing. He was amazing in those two games he played. Paul George is amazing. But both of them struggle to stay healthy. Now, Paul George, his injury was a freak accident where, you know, he's gone for a rebound and bang knee to knee and his knee got bent backwards. But Kawhi, the funny thing is, he doesn't get the street clothes treatment that Anthony Davis does because when Anthony Davis gets hurt, you see it, right? It could be a minor injury, but it looks like he just got shot. With Kawhi, you don't ever see it really. You might see him do a little limp and go off, but he doesn't have any theatrics about it. So you don't really think about him as being street clothes, but he's extremely injury prone, right? And now you have to manage him. You can't really get any type of chemistry during the regular season because of it. I just don't see a way forward for them because they're stuck with Kawhi and Paul George. And that sounds crazy to say because those two guys are so great. Kawhi can be the best player in the league at times. Paul George can be top 10 at times. And they have a good surrounding cast. Like when they're healthy, they're a championship contender. If Kawhi was healthy and Paul George was healthy, I think they beat the Suns. I think they beat them. They played very well against the Suns, despite being shorthanded. Russell Westbrook showed that he still has it, for sure. So I think next year, going in, you just have to say, if healthy. But if healthy, this team's a title contender. Now, just to touch on the second round series a little bit, we had James Harden go crazy. Go nuts last night. Uh, shout out to him for coming back and putting up those mathematics, if you will. <laughs> you listen to that beat in the background. Killing it. Then also, if you have you have James Harden doing that. Boston, you can't have that happen. Especially if Embiid is able to come back. That loss is going to come back to bite Boston. And in that game, I just felt like there never was like this sense of let's put our foot on their neck and get them out of here. Now, you have to give Philly all the credit in the world. James Harden balled out. Tobias Harris played well. Maxie played well. But with Boston, defensively, they just weren't able to stop anything. Now, Harden had one of his classic Harden games. Sometimes you can't do nothing about that. You just got to shake his hand. But with everything else. Boston's supposed to be this good defensive team. And just could not get it together. And against Atlanta, Atlanta was able to stay in that series. And that should have been a bad sign. Right? I made a little money off that game last night. I'm not going to say I picked Philly to win, but Philly was 10-point underdogs. I was like, that's crazy the way Boston's playing. I understand the MB's there, but I'll take Philly plus 10. And they turned out to win it outright. Now, of course, you can't expect that from Harden again to do that again, maybe one more time in the series. So hopefully Embiid is able to come back soon, but I wouldn't expect him in game two because they already stole the one game on the road that they need. And now they know, oh, we play well, we can beat this team without Embiid. Boston got to get it together. Uh, the big matchup on the Western side is Lakers, Golden State Warriors. This is going to be a very, very interesting series starting tonight. I'm recording this on Wednesday. It's 1 o'clock right now, Pacific Standard Time. So a few hours away. This series is very interesting because you have so many matchups and so many different ways in which the coaches can attack it, right? So who do you have guarding 
Steph Curry. It's not, definitely not going to be D'Angelo Russell. He can't do it, right? Do you put Vanderbilt on him? Vanderbilt's a little bigger. Maybe it could be a little more physical with him. But Vanderbilt may struggle as far as the running goes, right? As soon as Steph passes the ball and he tries to relocate, he doesn't stop moving. So you need somebody with the energy and the lateral quickness to stay with him. Is that Austin Reeves? Austin Reeves, a solid defender. Definitely better offensively, but solid defender, right? Do you put LeBron on Draymond so he can be a help defender? Because LeBron at this stage is still a very good help defender, but you definitely don't want him chasing around Clay on screens and stuff like that. So with the Lakers, it's going to be interesting to see how they try to slow down Steph Curry and Golden State. Steph Curry, you know, coming off of the greatest Game 7 we've ever seen, dropping 50 points in Game 7. And he's hot on the tails of, you know, the top 10 all time. Hot on the tails of Magic Johnson as the greatest point guard of all time. He's just simply amazing, man. Simply amazing. How do you stop that? With Golden State. Do you want Draymond or Looney trying to guard Anthony Davis? When Anthony Davis, at his best, he's going to be unstoppable in the series. Unstoppable in the series. Who do you have on LeBron? Is it going to be Draymond? Right? With, do you help off of D'Lo? Do you help off of Austin Reeves? Do you help at all? Or do you just go straight up and say, all right, LeBron, AD, y'all do y'all thing. And we're going to shut down the rest of these guys and make sure that D'Lo doesn't go off. Make sure that Reeves doesn't go off. But Reeves, that's not, a, that's not an easy task because that dude can ball. This is a very good series. I really don't know which way to go, but I got to make a pick. Woo. I'm going to go. Damn. I really, <laughs> I really don't know. Like I want to watch a game and make a pick, but that's not the way this, this works. Ah. This is a tough one, and you couldn't really get anything from the regular season matchups because of the trade deadline and how the Lakers changed after that. Ugh. Ugh. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Lakers. I know this isn't great podcasting hearing me, you know, struggle with this decision. I'm gonna go Lakers. Lakers in seven, but they gotta go back. Go to say has home court advantage in this one, which is great for them because they struggled on on the road, you know, all year long. But yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Lakers. I'm gonna go Lakers. Lakers in seven. I think the size, their defense, the depth. I think they have more people they can depend on than Golden State does. So I'm gonna go Lakers. Steph's gonna be amazing. That's why it's gonna go seven games. We're gonna go Lakers in seven. Uh, for the Denver and Phoenix Suns series, Denver's up 2-0. Uh, I picked the Suns to come out of the West to start the playoffs, but after that first round, I definitely was not feeling that. Uh, Denver looks great right now. They have no answer for Jokic. And when Murray's going, you saw that in game one, it's very, very tough on them defensively. I love what Denver's doing as far as Aaron Gordon trying to make it tough on KD. Got KCP trying to make it tough on Devin Booker. Like, they have some defenders. We don't think of Denver as a defensive team, but they have good defenders. And they've been showing that in this series so far. They're a very well put together team. I think they will take care of the Suns. I think the Suns do get two wins. So I'm going to take Denver and six. Um, for the Eastern Conference matchups, for Heat and Knicks, I picked Heat and six in that one. And for the other series, Boston Philly was tough because no Embiid. But now, if Embiid comes back, 
You gotta think Philly's gonna win this series after that game one. So I'm gonna go Philly in six. So Philly in six over Boston. I got Heat in six over the Knicks. Denver in six over the Suns. And Lakers in seven over the Warriors. Not feeling good about it. <laughs> but hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Uh, make sure you follow me on all social media platforms at The Real Deal WDA. I'll be dropping more and more content. So make sure you check me out there. And make sure you just shout this podcast out wherever you can. I would truly, truly appreciate it. I'm trying to get advertising. I haven't had advertising in a little bit. So I would truly, truly appreciate the shout out so I can get that rolling as well. And if you're interested in advertising on The Real Deal with Damian Adams, slide me a DM at The Real Deal WDA on Twitter. I can definitely get you a good deal on some great advertising to a broad audience. All right. And until next time, go real or go home.